everyone. Welcome to episode 98 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Be sure to listen to the full introduction as we are giving away more fun things to some lucky listeners. Well, this week's guest is Columbia landscape photographer Gabriel Eisenband. Gabriel is one of those guys that I think flies under the radar but produces absolutely stunning and unique work. Gabriel Gabriel and I cover some really great topics, including what it's like to be a landscape photographer in Colombia with some history lessons, the national park system in Colombia, the concept of respecting nature and how it plays out in Colombia, and the three most important things for a landscape photographer, and more. Over on Patreon this week, Gabriel and I talk about the idea of motivation and how it influences the type of photography that we produce. Before we get started, I want to tell you about one of our Patreons, uh, Jason Matias, founder of The Art of Selling Art. You may remember him from episode 79, where we discussed the business of art, marketing, art fairs, and my personal favorite, finding your voice. Jason offers an incredible service through The Art of Selling Art. Artists everywhere are leveraging it to learn more about the business side of photography, such as learning how to sell to art collectors, a complete guide to art fairs, and how to run a giveaway. This week, Jason and I are partnering to fully launch his Art of Selling Art service. For me, the most exciting part of this service is his Finding Your Voice workshop. It's an eight-week collaboration and growth hack designed to take you from creating because you love it to creating what you love. When you enroll in the Art of Selling Art, you'll be automatically added to the never-before-seen workshop when it opens in a few weeks. We talked about the Art of Selling Art on the Facebook group for the podcast. Uh, Just search for F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. And we did a really fun live chat. If you sign up for the Art of Selling Art through the link that we shared on the liner notes for this podcast episode, you will automatically be added to his upcoming Finding Your Voice workshop, which is a $700 value. By using those links, you will also be supporting the podcast financially, and you'll be getting something extremely valuable in return. Next, let me introduce you to another one of the podcast's patrons, Anton Everine. He has created an awesome luminosity masking panel called Arc Panel. It focuses on simplicity and speed. I've tried it myself and I found it to be very fast and very intuitive, which I think is one of the problems with luminosity masking panels. They're really confusing, but this one is not. Arc Panel provides 16-bit luminosity and saturation masks for lights, darks, midtones, and zones with options to refine and apply them to any kind of adjustment layer. The panel can also perform complex luminosity masking techniques, including frequency separation, Orton effect, and dodge burn. Anton just released a version 2.0, which has speed improvements and color masking with full selection control. So take your editing to the next level with his great panel. You can try it free at arcpanel.averine.photo. That's A-R-C-P-A-N-E-L dot A-V-E-R-I-N dot photo. And I have three free copies of ArcPanel for three lucky podcast fans. Winning is easy. Write a five-star review about the podcast on iTunes and send me what you wrote in a direct message on Instagram and then do a story on Instagram about the podcast. Uh, 
Well, special thanks to our Patreon supporters and podcast producers. Uh, these amazing individuals contribute at the $20 a month level and higher over on our Patreon page. Michael Howard, Perry Shalat, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, Roger Nadell, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, and James Bakavoy. Let's get to the show. All right. Well, Gabriel Eisenband, thank you so much for coming on to F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Thank you, Matt. I'm very happy to be here. I've uh, been listening to the podcast for quite a while, and it's like my my best tent mate. <laughs> well, thank you for <laughs> listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think you're the first guest that we've had from South America. Cool. That's so cool. And, you, and you're in Colombia, right? Yeah, I'm in Colombia. I'm from awesome. Barranquilla. Awesome. Well, I've, I am one of those dumb Americans that doesn't know much about geography in South America. Okay. Um, but uh, so is that like on the north part of Colombia? Yeah, I mean, uh, Colombia is in the northern part of uh, South America, and it mm -hmm. connects to, to Central America through Panama. And we have uh, Venezuela to, to the right, to the east. We have also Brazil and Peru and Ecuador. We have all those borders. Cool. Yeah. So, so I feel like a lot of people may not know about you, but you have like an amazing gallery of images on your website that are super unique, probably because not a lot of people shoot in the country of Colombia. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess first, maybe just uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Like, um, how did you get into landscape photography? And maybe tell us like a little bit about yourself. Like, what do you do for a living? Um, do you do photography full time? Yeah, yeah let's, sure. let's get to know you. Well, I got I got into photography on back in 1993 that I was doing street photography for fun. And um, then it shifted, like 10 years later, I shifted to landscape photography. I was not living off photography. I was living, I had a regular job on retail, nine to five, mon Monday to Friday. And... Um, Going up uh, to the mountains was uh, my way to, you know, to have a place to reconnect with nature, with myself, to um, recharge batteries, to um, experience uh, something less mundane or less um, immediate and getting touch with something more ethereal or something more of the eternal. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that, that's the feeling that I had when when I was uh, up in the mountains. And uh, so I grabbed my camera and I started shooting the landscape around me. And just to show my friends what I was, uh, what I was witnessing up, up there. And um, <laughs> yeah, so that's how I got into landscape photography. And um, that's so funny. <laughs> what? Well, that, that's exactly how I got into it as well. <laughs> and, and I hear a lot, a lot of a lot, a lot of people that you interview say, uh, you know, they we all have that same thing in common. You know, it's we need we need to to you know go to a place where 
we feel things are maybe sacred can be a word or yeah. you know you know look for some balance that we don't we don't find in the city and right. uh, some quiet also that we don't have in the city uh, we are also you know we're so i don't know i'm trying to to find out the word but we are overstimulated in the city <laughs> yes. you know so so much so much noise so much screen so many screens uh so many advertising and uh, you know it's some people just need to get out of that <laughs> right you know i'm definitely so, um, one of those people <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. so um yeah back in you know a couple of years ago in 2015 i quit my day job and i said i'm gonna travel colombia uh awesome. now, I, yeah i traveled the country for a year um basically going to some of the natural parks that i could gain access to and some other places that uh, were interesting to me to go to mm -hmm. and um by the end of that year i did a show here in bogota awesome. uh, in a gallery and um uh, i invited the people from the national park system and i said listen i have this um work that i just did the parks that I could visit, and I would very much like you to be here with me and uh, and be a part of it. And um, they came, and a lot of people came. A lot of people were interested, and um, I got a book deal. Wow, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome! Yeah, so they said uh, there was an, a book editor in uh, that went to see the show, and he said, uh, "Would you be interesting in?" in making a book, you know, in doing a book of the national parks of Colombia. And I say, wait, let me think about it. And I thought about it for uh, one thousandth of a second. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so, um, so yeah. And um, we talked to the park system and they were very interested in, in doing it. And I spent almost another 14 months traveling oh, wow. to the national parks here and photographing them. And we made a book, which was, uh, which came out last year on awesome. June. What is the name of your book? It's the national parks of Colombia. Oh, that's, that's easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. And it's the first photography book on the national parks of Colombia. Awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, it was it was a super beautiful experience. It was, you know, uh, apart from the year that I spent traveling by myself, and uh, then the another year for the book. So it was almost I don't know, like 24, 25, 26 months traveling and going to places that nobody's going to because there's simply no access. I mean, and there's no tourism or tourist infrastructure hmm. so it was a pretty pretty awesome experience i mean i got to experience like the deeps the depth of the deep colombia you know yeah and uh it was super awesome super awesome experience for me so tell us a little bit more about the landscape in colombia like wh like what are some of the types of landscapes that you can photograph and how how, how do the what are the national parks set up 
um, to well, protect in terms of the types of areas. Yeah, well, it's a it's a very interesting country and very interesting geography. We are, as I as I think I said already at the top, you know, northernmost part of the of the continent, mm-hmm. and uh, we have uh, the Andes Cordillera, the Andes mountain range, which um, enter Colombia enter Colombia from the south through Ecuador, and they branch out into three parts. So there, it branches. It has like three branches. Okay. And um, they finish in uh, in the Atlantic coast. So like the northern branch finishes in the Atlantic, and the eastern branch finishes through the. It goes into Venezuela and drops there in Venezuela. So the country is divided by this huge mountain range, which in itself, it divides into three parts. And we have the, on the, on the west, we have the Pacific Ocean. And on the north, we have the Atlantic Ocean. And those are divided by Panama, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So we have, so it's incredibly varied because we have Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, a mountain that, crosses the whole country from south to north and um we have the amazon jungle and also the eastern plains so the amazon jungles also start to drop down in the eastern part of uh, eastern southeastern part of colombia sorry so we get a lot a lot of different mm-hmm. ecosystems and um we have all the, I mean, we have, you know, you can go from the beach to a 5,700 meter peak. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, and that, that there's an, there's a national park called the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta, uh, which has the tallest mountain in the world by the sea. Oh, wow. So it goes from the sea to 5,700 meters, which I, th- I don't know how many feet or is that that's like um yeah so it'll be like 18,700 18, feet nice yeah from so from sea level to that altitude and it's actually the tallest mountain in the world because you know the tallest is obviously everest but everest you know everest comes up from the tibetan plateau which is 5,000 meters high already right and uh it goes to 8,800 meters so this one li- literally is you know goes from the sea to the to eighteen thousand feet. And what's the name of that? What's the name of that mountain? The national park. It's Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta, and the highest peak. I think it's called Pico Colón or Pico Bolivar. There are two big ones right next to each other, awesome. and they are close to the public. I mean, very little people go there because there are three uh, Indian tribes that own the land. And oh. basically, they decide who goes up and you know who goes in and who doesn't, because it's <laughs> their sacred land. Wow! So there's just like a lot of stuff down there that's just totally untouched. It's there's a lot of stuff, and um, so yeah, Pacific, Atlantic, mountains, valleys, deserts, and open savannas, and uh, a big patch of jungle. The biggest national park of um rainforest national park is in colombia in the world 
and it's called Chiribiquete, and uh, it's huge. It's a huge place, and it harbors one of the um, oldest rock formations of, on Earth. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's yeah, it's incredibly varied. We don't get um, we don't have seasons, so it either rains or it doesn't rain, and temperature is depending on altitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I just found. I just found it on ma- on Google Maps. The mountain you were talking about <laughs> looks pretty amazing. <laughs> it is amazing, and it's kind of mystical. And there's all this mystique, you know, by the people who inhabit the area, and they don't like, you know, people going in and out. So they they keep it closed, and that adds to the mis- mysteriousness about it. Right? Do you do yeah. do you do a lot of um, mountaineering down there, or no, not at all. I use I. I I, I lived in Venezuela for a while, uh-huh. and I did some mountaineering over there. But I just didn't like, you know, having ropes and a harness and helmet and crampons mm-hmm. and, oh, right. you know, I just I th- I felt like no, I'd rather <laughs> be in the valleys looking at this from down below. Sure, no, I totally, <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, and you, you, <clears throat> yeah. So after you did your your book, did you uh, did you find that um, you were getting a lot more attention from from the public, or what did what what happened after you published the book? Well, yes, people have uh, really liked the project. It's first project of its kind here, so um, it was really nice to have it out. We did a very good launch, and we had a lot of publicity and a lot of good comments and people on social media asking and uh, questions about going play about getting to places and you know mm-hmm. praising basically the effort that uh, took to do the the work so that was uh, that was really really nice you know absolutely yeah um, well so what is how you had mentioned that it's um, pretty difficult to um, find natural places to photograph down there. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? Yes. Well, we've had a very long history of civil unrest here. Um, Since uh, the 60s, we've been having trouble with armed guerrilla groups, which um, were, you know, the origin was, you know, Marxist and uh, communist. And, you know, that 60s movement with Cuba and... uh, and uh, Russia and mm-hmm. all that stuff and the U.S. and the battle between, you know, the Cold War capitalism or socialism or communism. But that um, later morphed into, into you know, that uh, drug business. Right. You know, <laughs> so it's been going on for quite a while and still there. Um, so it's nowadays it's a little bit more quiet than maybe five or ten. No. 10 or 15 years i mean it's gotten really really better compared to the 90s which was like the height of the madness uh-huh so there have oh, we had um we had a, a president that fought them really hard and then we had an our president who signed a peace treaty with one of the groups so they have partly dismantled and uh uh, but not in its entirety. So it's still, you know, it's not a perfect piece, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Right. And um, 
So that's why it's been a little bit complicated to travel uh, uh, the country because you know it's, it's basically not safe to do it. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so yeah. like if um, <laughs> if someone like me was to go down there, like what would you recommend in terms of like? staying safe and 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 still being able to take photos well i think the places that are open to the public are generally safe uh it's not like the whole country is uh super uh dangerous mm-hmm. it's just the parts that you know the i don't know the drug plantations that, that are you know being protected by these illegal groups so i don't think and unless you go into the really dangerous places i don't think you know there's any trouble at all right now okay well yeah <laughs> so <laughs> i'm i'm curious about the national park system down there because yeah um i feel like the united states is uh has a really great national park system that was started you know way back in the early 1900s and yeah um how, how did it how did the national park system in colombia come to exist well, I think it was, you know, it's the national park system. It's an, it's a, it's a, uh, an idea that comes to the U.S. that was, that comes from the U.S. that was copied by the whole world. I saw, I saw a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called America's Great Greatest Idea. Okay. It's very nice. It's on PBS. Very good documentary. And um, I think it comes basically from the same idea. You know, we have to protect our our natural monuments, our ecosystems, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we have uh, 59 or 60 national parks here. Wow. So a lot of them, yeah. And uh, I think I, I think only like 10 are open to the public, you know. 10 oh, really? Have like, yeah, yeah. Like 10 have the, you know, only like infrastructure when people can, you know, go by themselves or hire a guide or something like that. So why why do they only open 10? Like why don't they allow the access to the other ones? Because of what I what we were just talking about, you know. It was basically not safe to go to some places. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so government didn't have like real control over the over over a lot of the land here. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, so it was basically that. So I'm curious um like the general po- populace down there, do they um, generally have a high degree of support for the national park system or are there people that want to use that land for other stuff? Well, there's, there's both, you know, <laughs> the people who are in, who are in uh, cattle business, you know, ranchers, one more land, uh, timber companies, one more forests. And uh, the general public doesn't want them to be there. And uh, yeah, it's like the the same struggle as everywhere <laughs> about uh, pres- uh, about using our natural resources or preserving them, abusing our natural our natural resources or preserving them. Mm-hmm. You know, so but the general public, you know, it's always pro national parks. That's cool. Um, yeah, I'm curious, like given that your government has been in turmoil, like have they found it difficult to enforce protecting those areas or has that main, has that been maintained pretty well over the years? It's a difficult question and it has two answers because um, 
Some of the areas have been abused by these uh, illegal groups. But at the same time, because of them, these places are not open to the general public. So nobody can go. I mean, no, you know, the government can't go there and build roads and uh, people can't go there and do whatever they please. So it's like off limits and to to you know to mainstream you know so it's like these places that are controlled by a group of people and nobody goes there so they they can either help preserve or sometimes help destroy interesting yeah <laughs> and the government just doesn't have the the ability to push those people out well um i think it does I think it does, and that's why um, the country is beginning to um, uh, to get rid of these massive armed groups. So now, what we have is like pockets of them. The past twenty years have been like you know massive, you know, right on war against these groups, and then an our government that made peace. So now, what we have is, you know, the people or the part of the of these of these groups that said okay we are not going we don't want to be a part of society because this uh, business here is too lucrative to leave it behind you know so now it's not like so so it's very different the scene from you know from the 1990s where they were there were you know big strong groups that were that were really challenging the government in terms of power mm-hmm. now that is not the case so right. it's just there's a huge business underneath, which is I think the most profitable business in the world. So there are people running it, you know, and uh, you know one goes down and another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and what are what are typically these armed groups like? What are what are they trying to achieve? I guess because what is uh, it? Like be- one of them's like the the FARC is that one of them I yeah think? they were trying to achieve you know they wanted power because they are Marx you know communists okay and uh-huh. they were against uh um they were against the capitalist government mm-hmm. so they were fighting for power gotcha. but they are not anymore because they signed the peace treaty and um so they're out basically and um, the other one is the smallest one, which is, you know, they have been trying to negotiate a peace treaty with the government, but they have been very um, bad at it. <laughs> you sure. know? So they've been, you know, trying to negotiate by doing a lot of bad stuff on the side. So, gotcha. so you know, the government is fed up with them. Yeah. So they're, again, fighting them full on. Well, one of the things I was curious about um, in terms of like the photography culture in Colombia, yeah. so like I know up here in the in the United States, like it's a like it's a pretty popular, I guess I guess you could call it a hobby. You know, there's hobbyists and there's enthusiasts and there's semi professionals and there's professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe the the continuum of landscape photographers in Colombia? I think there was a uh, there were couple of very good ones that published books um but but i don't know i think it was like a generation that kind of faded away or i haven't seen much work done on landscape and i guess it's because of what we were talking about 
Sure. Uh, you know, just basically there were there was no access to to a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess it's because of that. But as soon as you know the country starts to open up, I mean, people are going to you know to run to to these places, and 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 I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in the last years. You know, as gov- as our government has been able to you know gain back uh, huge areas of of land, people start going there, and. Um, there are many, many opportunities. I mean, I think Colombia is number two or number three or number one in bird population in the world. Oh, wow. So, you know, all these people that like to photograph birds, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a haven for them. Right. With a lot of, you know, a lot of endemic species. And I have a lot of friends who like photographing birds and, and small reptiles, you know, go digging for frogs and lizards and snakes <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, and they they're always busy because there's always you know things to photograph. Right, they're always catching very colorful uh, things in the ground. That I'm like, why? I, why? <laughs> <laughs> so if if there's not a huge number of landscape photographers down there, like how did you um, learn how to take photos? I guess a bit on my own, uh-huh. a bit self self taught. When I started doing photography. Um, when I, when I took landscape photography back in 2003, I don't know if Facebook was, was even on, I, I, I don't know if YouTube was even on. So basically I was in, I was living in Caracas in Venezuela and, uh, have a friend there who's an awesome photographer. He works in the Tepuis and, um, I took a, a workshop with him and, um, then I was basically on my own, just, you know, learning by myself and shooting what I liked and buying books about photography and magazines and stuff. Right. And, um, you know, and then I, st- and I, and then I opened up Instagram and I uh, started publishing my, um, my photos there. And uh, uh, this account called South America or something, you know, published one of my, my photographs from, from from a place called Caño Cristales, which is a very interesting creek that has an endemic red plant. Oh yeah, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> okay, cool. So they pu- they they published that image, and um, a friend of a mutual friend of ours, which is Eric Bennett, he uh, he saw that and uh, he contacted me. He said, "Listen, man, I want to go there and I want to visit this place and hang out." And uh, he said, I have a workshop in uh, San Blas in Panama. Why don't you join me? And then we'll head back to Colombia. And so we did. Awesome. And uh, so I did this workshop with uh, Eric. And um, it was totally different from what, I've, uh, what I had seen before. Because I was, you know, I was, I don't know, I had like books like from Ansel Adams <laughs> and uh, Galen Rowell uh-huh. and um, what's uh, there's another guy very very famous from the Ansel Adams era, uh, Edward Weston, and uh, so then Eric has this um, you know modern look of modern way of processing and modern way of seeing things, which is which was quite interesting for me to to see and um yeah so basically um i don't know that's that's those are the workshops that i've that i've done you know one in venezuela and uh 
in uh, one with Eric and in in uh, San Blas in Panama. And actually, I just came back from from uh, from Death Valley that we were shooting there on a workshop with him. So I've had three workshops, and then it was you know all by myself, just coming and going and shooting and learning and shooting a hundred bad photographs and getting maybe one good one. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the truth for most of exactly. us anyway? I feel like uh -huh. that's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. <clears throat> well, tell us a little bit about that. Um, that red, that red, that red plant that grows. And I'm really curious about that because that, that, that immediately um, stood out in your portfolio. And I was like, wow, that's, I've never seen anything like that before. Well, that's a place called Caño Cristales, and um, it's in a national park called La Macarena. It was for many years closed to the public. I mean, it opened to the public, I think it was in like in 2010 that people could really, you know, just start going there. Wow. Eight or nine, eight, yeah, nine years ago. You know, what, the first time I visited the park, you know, last, you know, the, the week prior to that, the place was bombed. You know, a few miles, you know, there was a huge battle. You know, the army had bombed a huge um, uh, uh, FARC campsite. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, nobody was going there. Now it's super popular. And uh, it's very beautiful. It's very unique. It's one of the most beautiful uh, places that we have down here, I think. And uh, it's a creek that gets water only you know, like four or five months a year when it really, really, really rains. Uh -huh. And these red plants bloom. And they're only there in the planet, in planet Earth. They are only there <laughs> for four months a year. So that's the only place they grow on the whole planet? That's the only place those plants grow. They are endemic. Wow. Yeah, they're beautiful because it's like, you know, oh, this this huge red river you know yeah it's beautiful it's it's and it's it's not a river actually it's it's a creek with three branches but it's beautiful and it you know it's water flowing cascading over a red plant yeah and then there's it's like a, a very beautiful thing <clears throat> you have a couple more shots where there's also like a yellow looking yeah the, those are rocks and sand wow <laughs> yeah, that's a very unique place. I really enjoy shooting there a lot, but now it's now it gets crowded. Now it's really crowded. Interesting. That's yeah. When bad. yeah, well, it's yeah, it's definitely bad for you know. It's not like you know when I the first the first oh, times I went there, there was nobody there. Now you know you could come in and go you know whenever you liked and do whatever you want. But now since since there are a lot of people going there, so there are rules and you have to go through this trail, this marked trail, and you can't go by yourself. You have to go in a group with a guide. So, you know, they're doing it. So, you know, the, the place can be protected, which is good. Sure. Yeah. But now, you know, the magic of being alone in the wilderness is lost. Right. So, but it's cool because they're doing, I think they're doing a great job. I mean, they're, they are not even allowing people to bathe in the creek. And there are only certain places that they let you, you know, go in, go in the water and you you can't wear sunscreen. You know, they're really trying hard to protect that place. Wow, that's cool. Which I think is awesome because it's yeah. very fragile. Have you found um, that the typical visitor to the parks um, has a healthy understanding and appreciation of how to 
um, I guess, respect those places and, and not trash them? Or is that a problem down there as well? I think it's a problem as well, but there are two types of visitors. The visitor that is going to a national park uh, because it's a national park and they want to respect it and they want to go see it as it is, you know, they, they usually, you know, keep by the rules. Mm-hmm. But the people who go to places and don't ask for permission and just sneak in, they are the ones that can be problematic. Right. You know, so a bit of both, you know. Okay. A that bit of sense. both. Well, that's a, that yeah. sounds like, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take very many of the bad seeds to ruin it for everyone else, you know. <laughs> exactly. And just people think that, you know, that you can just leave anything behind or. It pains me when people, you know, you see like candy bar uh, <laughs> papers in the floor and the the small things, you know. Right. It's right. like take care of your belongings. Don't leave any. Don't leave any trash behind. Just leave it better. Yeah. So now that you've started um, traveling up into the United States, like what what are you excited about in terms of um, subjects and different things to shoot? Because a lot of when I go through your portfolio, strikingly, you have a lot of scenes that are shot in the kind of middle of the day, and it still is amazing, which is different than I feel like a lot of photographers like only shoot like in the morning or in the evening. And but you've got stuff that's like blue skies and clouds, and it, it's amazing. So what have you what have you been seeing that really excites you? Well, because because. You know, this project was done in with very little time. I mean, I had to complete like forty-five national parks in twelve months. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like I had a lot of time per place. Uh, so I had to come up with material from each park that I visited. Right. It was very important to do so, and I didn't have the luxury of going to places uh, only when the weather was good or only when the weather was perfect. And also, um, this is the tropics. So it it really, really rains, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So you can be in a place and it rains four or five or six days in a row and you get maybe small batches of sunlight if you're lucky and you have to use them. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah. No, I totally get that. So, um so yeah, it wasn't. I didn't have the luxury of waiting. Uh-huh. You know, I had maybe four, five days per park, six days at the most, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you could easily go five or six days without a clear sunrise or sunset. Sure, easily. Yeah. So, so yeah. how have you how have yeah. you incorporated some of the stuff that you've learned from people like Eric? Well, not very good. <laughs> um, it's it's very it's very different. I mean, I like to th- to think in terms of mood and substance, which were the words mm-hmm. by Ansel Adams, and um, a lot of the work that I see is uh, right now coming off of you know Instagram and stuff like that. It's it's uh, it's a bit formulaic sometimes and it feels a bit you know processed the same way and um it... you don't say <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it it's you know it's I'm not, I'm not maybe i maybe i didn't uh answer the question correctly but you know i 
the the philosophy of you know leading lines, for example, I hadn't heard that before. Really? Which is a very yeah, exactly. Leading line was you know what I you know very cool for me to to think about in terms of you know have you know leading lines and having a a main subject and um, you know having all that is not your main subject complemented and having the correct light um at the correct time you know for me it was more in terms of of feeling Mm -hmm. you know i felt the scene it felt powerful to me i shot it right you know and then you start understanding how to construct the scene better you know and then you know how to compose a scene better and then you understand how light works better and then you understand how to process your files better and it's not something that it's done in a couple of weeks or in a couple of months at least for me it's been a you know a couple of year a couple of years process and uh i think i'm still in the process i mean you obviously have some natural ability because so many of your photos are stunning but uh and i think what you just described like that learning process i feel like that's why a lot of people never kind of progress past shooting scenes that they've seen before on social media because it it it's not really something that you can learn like overnight like it it's a painful process of discovery and and failure right. like lots and lots and lots of failure and so like how right. have you, like what are some things that you've done to maximize those failures just shoot and shoot and shoot and not give up. I mean, that's the only way to do to do it. I think, I think the three most important things about photography are, of course, composition, which you can control, light, which you can't, and the third one is patience, which you can also. And it's just <laughs> being patient because you know most of the time things are not going to be perfect. And um, it's just, you know, scouting, being there and just shooting and shooting. And also I I read, I read some somewhere, you know, that also learn a lot. I mean, don't discard the bad images instantly because the bad images will tell you also what you did wrong. So it's just Mm -hmm. like when you get Mm -hmm. home, you're all, you're all excited to, you know, to see your, the 200 shots that you came back with and maybe you find one or two that you really like and <laughs> exactly so <laughs> right? then you go file for fine okay i should have done this i should have done this i should and then maybe maybe you learn something <laughs> maybe you learn something from right. next time and you know it's sometimes mm-hmm. it's things are it's something sometimes as simple as you know i'm, I'm shooting something that i think works and when I finish shooting it, I also shoot. I, I also pan a little to the right, and then I pan a little to the left, and just to make sure that I am getting it correct. Because sometimes I feel it's it's right there through the sensor. I mean through the live view. But then I get home and I oh I should I, I missed this you know part of the mountain to the right or I missed this part on the left. So you know. You know that that um that process can be really helpful. You know, yeah. One of the um, I don't know if you struggle with this, but one of the things that I've been struggling with a lot lately is um, I'll capture a lot of images that are like they look pretty mm-hmm. solid. You look at them and it's like there's just something not quite 
working <laughs> with this image, you know, and it's, um, and then you ask people for feedback and of course they see it completely different because they didn't take it. And it's like, well, yeah, it's because, you know, you don't, what, like, I love, I love this. Mike Fern Kane asks, like, he tells me this all the time. And so does David Thompson. Like, so what's the subject? And it's like, if you can't answer that question, exactly, like, then you obviously exactly. just need to go re go back to the drawing board. Cause if, if it's not obvious what the subject is, then, then exactly. it's not working. <laughs> it, exactly. And it, yeah, totally. But you know what? Sometimes you you know sometimes it's a clear subject, but also, sometimes also it's an right. idea. It can be an idea, or it can be a feeling, and that's I think harder to express than a subject because a subject mm -hmm. is a very clear thing. But you can also try to express right. an idea or a feeling, you know, a mood, a mood, and uh, that's that goes against social media, I would say. Yes. <laughs> because I mean, we are we are kind of we 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 want to be validated, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, maybe we feel something about a certain cloud that is up there in the sky, and uh, we want to express, you know, that we we want to share the feeling, right, of you know being there and watching the clouds go by. But if you shoot the clouds, you know. It's maybe it will be it will not be an interesting you know photograph to sh to show on social media, but if you make it you know you know to a bigger project, you know the sky that you know that the skies on Colorado or wherever you live or something like that, and you start shooting that, it becomes a a whole it has a different meaning. You know, mm, that's a good point. I feel like yeah. I mean you're you're bringing up some really good stuff like. I feel like so much of what um, motivates us um, in terms of like what we shoot and how we present it is that we're catering to an audience. Whereas exactly. if you're trying to cater to an idea or cater to a collection of feelings or, or like if, if there's a thematic, like I can take a picture of a bunch of stuff that maybe it's not obvious what the subject is, but if you combine it with a bunch of other photos that are of a similar subject, it then becomes a much more powerful image um, in that collection. Yeah, and it will show, and it will be also a message, and it will be a message of who you are, you know, what you react to, what you respond to. Yeah. And uh, that's that's difficult to convey uh, on on social media, for example, you could convey that better on a website mm -hmm. because you know a portfolio. But on social media, it's very hard. People won't won't notice it, mm -hmm. and uh, it can be frustrating for some people to you know, you know, to put themselves out there and you know, and maybe not get the the adequate response. But it's not the adequate medium to to do that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, it just happens to be the most accessible medium that most of us have. Totally. <laughs> totally. And I, and I, and for me, it has been awesome. It's been an awful ride for me. Right. I mean, it has led me to show my work to a lot of people, to engage with, to, to engage with people, to meet very different people. And, um, I, I love it. I, I, I don't complain about it. It's just, uh, uh, it's just how it works, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, <clears throat> Funny as you were talking, I was looking at this image you have on your website called uh, 
matices en las tierras uh, vol volcánicas del... De puras, pura sí. Pura, yeah. And, um, yeah, exactly. That's a perfect example. Yeah, and it's like, um, first of all, it's a beautiful image. Like, And I, I got it pulled up real big on my screen, and I'm just kind of... It's like, just looking at it, like I, my eyes are just kind of wandering and dancing all through the scene. And it's one of those images that kind of fits the description that we're talking about that... Like it doesn't really have a singular subject, but exactly. it still is a very effective image because of um, the layering and the light and the clouds at the top and like the the like the different size rocks that you can see that have been strewn about from volcanic eruption and things like that. It's it's a very cool shot. <laughs> Thank you, and 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 that's you know you you picked out the, you know, the perfect example when I'm, you know, with customers and they are viewing my website and I'm like, oh, please, please <laughs> choose that one. I want, I want to print that one. But, you know, <laughs> they, they want more, you know, people usually want more color and want something more striking instead of, uh, instead of maybe something uh, more tame or more personal. Well, no, it's funny. And, like my wife is, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if you're married or not, but, um, my wife is like my biggest critic. Like I'll show, if I showed her an image like this of mine, she'd be like, it's a hill of rocks, you know, like, like that's, she <laughs> yeah. would see like the literal, like she wouldn't be able to see the more. Um, and I love my wife to death and I think she's a highly intelligent <laughs> person, but like okay. when it comes to appreciating f photography like this, I don't, you know, not everyone sees it the same way, you know? Totally. And, and, and the thing is that you, you also felt it. Right. You know, you were there and those rocks are powerful. Yeah. You know, they are there for a reason and they've been there for thousands or millions of years and they come, they come from who knows where, you know, so, and you felt that, you felt that. Yeah. And that's what triggered you to shoot, to shoot, to shoot it. Right. You know? So uh, for her, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's just a photograph on the screen you know, of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure that's what a lot of um, clients see as well. Like, you know, they're not, they're not seeing exactly. the bigger picture that's inside exactly. of the image. So like, have you found, um, have you found it difficult to, I guess, find an audience for images like that? Because I feel like a lot of photographers love images like that, but the general public, maybe not as much. Yeah. If you are going, I mean, most customers or people that purchase prints from you know my personal experience so far they are looking for a photograph that is a decorative i don't know if that's a word yeah yeah definitely something that okay. to decorate their house with exactly right. so they want something beautiful they want something you know that they are pleased to look at and they want a beautiful picture of a, of a beautiful place. Right. Um, and if you want to do something more of, you know, more personal, you have to push harder. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a different customer. It is. Um, well, it, I would, I would yeah. argue the customer is yourself, right? And yeah. those are, those are the, those are my favorite images because like, it, I don't know, like you can tell when people are shooting just for themselves and not trying to um, 
you know, to make an art sale or they're not trying to like fit, yeah. fit into a mold. Like you can just see it in the photo. Like it's very obvious, you know? Totally. And I was, it was so, so funny the other day. Um, I mentioned I was uh, with Eric in Death Valley a couple of weeks ago and uh, he sent me uh, a photograph by a well-known photographer over there. And he said like, listen, man, this is exactly what you don't have to do. This doesn't work because it's da 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 da. And in at the same minute, my girlfriend, who was working in her in her office, she sends me the exact picture, the exact one, because she follows a guy and she's like, "Look at this place! It's so beautiful. This 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 uh, this picture is awesome." You know. <laughs> and we were and we were you know saying like you know this is the you know the the thing that everybody does you know. Right. So unoriginal, unoriginal work. Right. It's unoriginal. And um, God, it's so funny because like, I don't want to knock people that do that. Like, cause I've shoot, man, I've been there for many, many, many years. Um, exactly. And like, there's definitely nothing wrong with it, but, totally. but I would also say like, I don't know, having been able to shoot both types of images, there's just an extra level of, um, I don't know the, the closest word I guess I could use is love. Like you just, you love the images because like they're yours and, and exactly. like it's, you created it. No, it's not someone else's idea. You didn't see it in a magazine or on Instagram. Exactly. It's, it's all what you thought looked amazing and how you constructed the scene with your equipment and with your visions, you know? Exactly. And it's up and it's, yeah, and it was what you reacted to, what you responded to. It was it's just like it's as if you are in a conversation with your surrounding and that's how you know the landscape speaks to you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then how you translate that uh, into a good photographic language, that is the hard part. It is. Because you know, I cannot go and say, "Oh no, this is a good photograph because um uh, that, that I I just reacted to this place and I love it and I pulled out my camera and I shot it and it's good point no it's an art form and it's a discipline and you have to abide to certain rules which you can also break when um, when breaking them work mm -hmm. but there are some rules to it you know yes like that at least that's how I see it right now <laughs> you know. And that's why some people can take good pictures and some, and some people can't and some, you know, so, um, there are certain rules and, and you have, and you work with a certain equipment, which has limitations and, uh, you have to make it work. I mean, this place speaks to me. How do I express that in photographic mm -hmm. terms? And that is not easy. That is very difficult. One of the things I also noticed about your photography is that your processing is very subtle um, and it's, it's very clean and it's not over the top. You know, I don't like, I don't look at your stuff and I'm like, Oh, he used Orton there. And Oh, yeah. he um, obviously um, took a tutorial from that guy. Cause he's using that thing that everyone's using. Like it's all just very yeah. subtle and natural and, so is that I'm I'm guessing that that's a very intentional thing that you've done, um, and I'm curious if you would you know just kind of speak to that a little bit. 
yeah, it's maybe because I'm not that good at editing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's not true, man. You've got some beautiful images here. Well, I like to, I don't like to depart too much. Uh, from I don't like to use the word reality because there's no such thing as reality. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't like that over the top feeling that is very present in a lot of photography nowadays. Mm-hmm. So you know you can edit or I can edit as much as I like, but. It has to feel right and not overly done. And um, your technique, when your technique cannot be, I mean, you cannot put your art behind your technique. Mm -hmm. You cannot put a mask on it. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's, that's basically it, you know? Well, and I guess you've had the luxury um, living there that, you know, there's not a lot of people shooting these places. Yeah, totally. And, and so, like, I feel like that's one of the things I struggle with a lot is that, you know, a lot of the places that I've shot over the last 10 years are places that a lot of other people have shot over the last 10 years. And not not all of them, but there are a lot of places. Um, and so I'm often... Um, you know, with social media, you're kind of bombarded with those images. And, and when you see one that's like, ah, that is not even remotely close to what that place even looks like at all. Um, it, I don't know, it just gets under my skin. And you haven't probably had that experience a whole lot because you don't have a lot of people down there shooting those places. But uh, I'm guessing you would probably have a similar feeling. <laughs> yeah totally when it's fake when it's fake it's fake you know it's just like eye candy and there's nothing more to it and then i think i've I've heard i've heard you talk about this in uh in other podcasts when people you know warp things in unnecessarily or you know overdo a lot of stuff you know there's so much power in 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 our computers in our processing right now that people tend to you know, overdo it. Sure. And it's I'm guilty just of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, probably, you know, all of us are, but you know, it's, you know, it gets to a point where if it feels fake, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't work. And, you know, part of a lot of what I see in photography um, is very superficial and it's very, it's very aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very aesthetic. It's about having everything uh, beautiful. You know, everything it's everything has got to be beautiful. Everything's got to be perfect. And I think life is not uh, necessarily beautiful or perfect. There's there are flaws to it. Mm-hmm. So there can you know that can show in your work too. It doesn't need to be always perfect. Everything perfect because it's not perfect. You know, right. I'm always, I'm always, no, you're fine. I'm always like, there's this certain photographer that is very famous that I don't know. I I look, maybe my problem is I just shouldn't look at his works, but, (laughs) but every Mm. time he posts a new image, like it's the same tricks over and over again. It's like clouds are all perfectly 
aligned to like accentuate the main hero or the main subject you know that those clouds didn't look like that like i've seen a lot of clouds in my day and they don't do that you know and it's just uh yeah it's an artistic creation that 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 doesn't bother me but it's um i don't know man like i just struggle with it so much because i feel like i wouldn't say it's an artistic creation (laughs) (laughs) sorry man but it's not i mean you're just repeating something and repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. It's just commercial work. It's not artistic. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm not saying anything bad about it. It's just, I don't think it's artistic. It's commercial. Well, and I, I think the flip side of that, at least from, from my perspective, is that um, you can call a landscape photography art without editing the heck out of it like it can like if you look at a lot of your work it's very artistic but it's not artistic because you um cloned in like clouds or changed the color palette completely or added glow to draw people uh, people's attention to a certain place like it's artistic because that's what you carefully crafted in the camera well, awesome, man. So uh, I'm really curious, who would you love to hear on the podcast? Because you listen to the podcast, and I'm sure you have some people in mind that you would love me to reach out to. Yeah, I'm going to use uh, uh, a, fra- a phrase that, I, that you use a lot, and I think I learned from you. That's shifting gears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know, I would like you to shift gear and um, maybe go underwater underwater okay. you know yeah maybe maybe go and look for people who shoot underwater imagine imagine you know shooting landscape is super difficult landscape photography imagine doing underwater photography you know chasing fish and having you know being underwater with scuba equipment with uh, underwater camera gear with strobes and lights and shooting fish so, you know, I can come up with a couple of names of people that I think are awesome and are doing a great job. And the one of them is Thomas Pichak. Uh I'll email you his uh, Instagram account. I don't know if, you know, you'll, if, you know, he's, uh, he works for National Geographic. So those guys, you know, are always somewhere. Right. Um, but he's awesome. And also uh, Brian Scary which um, is also very good. He shoots like this uh, slow shutter speed uh, underwater. So you see the animals kind of blurry, but the eye is sharp and he gets this awesome photographs. Wow. So it'd be kind of cool to, you know, to, to hear another side of the story. Yeah. And these guys, they, they are both National Geographic and those guys are storytellers. Mm. So, so I'm sure they, that you will have a lot to talk about uh, with, uh, with them or with people who, who do the same kind of work. I love that idea. It's funny. My, my uncle actually, um, he was a scuba diver um, first and then he became a photographer and he did a lot of underwater photography um, like with, you know, housing and all that stuff, but I haven't, I haven't really kept up on his stuff, but I'm yeah, I love scuba diving <laughs> and I love, I mean, I have a, uh, I love sharks. So I, lo- I like to scuba dive where, where, where I can see many sharks <laughs> and and I, I take my GoPro and do some videos, but I've never taken a, a serious camera and the shooting underwater. And I don't think I'll ever do it 
<laughs> yeah, and there are other, uh, there are a couple of other guys who shoot um, wildlife, and they're young and they're doing very interest. They're doing a very interesting thing. They are doing it artistically, hmm. and um, I'll email you the their names. But one is from India. It's Shaz Jung. I don't know if you if you follow him on Instagram, but he does these very, very cool images of panthers and leopards and tigers and he processes them, you know, not you know, it's he processes them, but very, very nicely. I mean he's not a Nat Geo photographer, you know, takes the shot, sends it back to the to the to the magazine. He 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 does some processing, but it's very interesting. And there's a French kid called Michel Doultremont. And he's also an artist at shooting animals. Awesome. And it would be very, very cool to to hear what they have to say. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm definitely uh I'll I'll need you to spell all those probably. So yeah, just send them. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the I'll DM you their accounts. Okay, cool. You can check them out. Sweet. Well man, this yeah. has been really fun, man. I really appreciate the lesson on Colombia and like just learning all about your culture and your heritage and like what drives you as a photographer. So thank you so much. Um, what, what do you got coming up? Well, I got, I'm, I'm in the middle of building a project that if I get it going on, it will take me maybe another 12 or, or 18 months to do it uh, in one of the, in a part of the country that I love. So I don't want to be coming and going from place to place. I want to focus in one mountain that I really, really like to be in. Very, very hard to shoot. It's one of the rainiest parts, rainiest parts <laughs> of the country. It really, really rains, really. But um, I love it. I love it being there. It's cold, it's high, has a lot of fog. Fog is a presence there. It's it's a presence there. It's It's like a tree, it's permanent. <laughs> And uh, it's very mysterious and very, very, it, it, it draws me there. So I'm, I'm looking for sponsors so I can go and spend, you know, and spend a lot of time there and, and uh, do a, a, a portfolio, a big one on that place. Awesome. So that, that's, what, that's what I'm into right now. That sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, I would like to spend like a, more than a year up there. Oh, wow. That would be awesome. Grow like a really big beard. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, and disappear from social media because I don't think people will like those sh those uh, that kind of photography. Right. Here I am again in the rain. It's awesome. <laughs> exactly. Shooting the rain and the fog. <laughs> exactly. I love fog, man. I think it can be such a powerful yeah. subject. Yeah. Totally, man. Totally. Yeah. I agree. You get, you know, like light hitting it at the right angle. Like, ah, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, that's what I'm up to. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I mean, I can't believe it's already an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 11 minutes. I know. It's crazy, huh? Cool chat. Now you have awesome. to come by and, and visit. Ah, uh, dude, I will. I would love to. Okay. Let's do okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks, Gabriel, for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast. You can see examples of his amazing photography and find links to all the topics we discussed and join in on the conversation about the episode on my website at mattpainphotography.com. 
If you'd enjoyed our discussion, there's a lot more over on Patreon. This week, Gabriel and I talked for about 10 additional minutes about the influence of motivation and how it influences our photography. Next week, we sit down with Oregon photographer Patricia Davidson. She travels the country in her RV and produces some really fabulous images along the way. She's also a prolific writer in the landscape photography community. I am also busy planning a very special 100th episode, which will feature many former guests in a roundtable discussion, including Alex Noriega, Sarah Marino, Eric Bennett, David Thompson, Joshua Cripps, Colleen Minnix-Berry, and Michael Shanebloom. So get ready for that one. Uh, we're going to be answering a lot of your questions for the group, which you can pose over on our Facebook group for the podcast. And I actually just created that thread on Sunday. Well, I want to take a special moment uh, to thank our newest patron for the podcast and also extend an invitation to you. Uh, when you sign up as a patron, leave a comment in the community over on Patreon and I'll share it with podcast listeners. It can be anything. I want to promote you, the community. So thanks to James Bakavoy, who just increased his pledge to the $20 a month level, which is a $15 raise. You are awesome, my friend. And I want to give a special shout out to one of our patrons, uh, Jesse uh, Lanuski. I posted a photo over on our Patreon page a couple of weeks ago uh, where I was uh, writing thank you letters to new patrons for the podcast. And Jesse responded with a really amazing message that just brought a huge smile to my face. So here it goes. Let me tell you, man, getting that sticker from you meant something to me too. I display it proudly. You're not the smoothest interview. No kidding. <laughs> and you know that. But you bring a very refreshing angle to things. I started out thinking I wanted to be a landscape photographer. I started following all the people you interview. And if I'm being honest, I just don't align myself with any of that photography anymore. I don't look at any of the work from big name photographers at all. And I've never seen one of your photos either. <laughs> but I have followed your podcast since the beginning and look forward to every new episode. I find so much inspiration from it and all of the rough edges that come with it. I live vicariously through you and how excited you get talking with all these cool people. I can relate better than any podcast I listen to. Keep being you, brother. Well, thank you, Jesse. That That is a really cool message, and I really appreciate you taking the time to write it out. Uh, you're right. There's a lot of rough edges, but uh, that's what keeps it authentic, I guess. So, so thank you. Uh, it just... Messages like that uh, keep me motivated and it keeps me working as hard as I do every week to bring you guys this podcast. And really, it is my goal to make uh, this my full-time job someday. And I would love to produce more podcasts in person across the world. So help me by doing that, uh, by supporting us over at patreon.com slash fstop and listen. Well, if you want to leave comments about the episode, head over to the liner notes on my blog or follow me on Twitter or Instagram as Matt Payne Photo or on Facebook as Matt Payne Photography. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening and see you next week.